Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. In this life, we will get this picture of who God is and how He works in this world as he's dealing with us as messy folk. See, this is not as much a story of Joseph and his rise to the palace as it is God's faithfulness to take someone from where Joseph was to the palace. This is still, as every part of Scripture is, it is about God's work in and through man, this will show of his greatness more than it will show any of Joseph's. It will show of his greatness more than it will show any of ours. And so as we look through these pages, man, let's, let's, let's catch a, a, a glimpse of how great God is and how we can live in light of his greatness regardless of what's happening in our lives. So Chapter 37 is where we will where we will start, but I'm going to give a little pretext and background because I want us to see where Joseph and where his family context is or has been as he comes to light. Here's what I wrote. Often the journey God has for us to his destinations for our lives goes through places, people, and situations we would not always choose. The chronicled life of Joseph demonstrates God's sovereign hand of grace and purpose in his appointed road that he has for us and what our response can be along the way. We get a glimpse of a guy who God has on a journey and we see a response and in many places a really good response in a time like that. And please don't leave it at just a, this is a nice Bible story. Can we take it from the pages of a nice flannel board, I'm dating myself, or, or, or um, uh, video um, board where you're showing pictures of someone, and many times in cartoon form, can we translate it from that into a, into a real person, because he was, who walked everyday life just like you and I, although in a different time and in a different culture, and yet met the same God that you and I have met if you trusted Christ, can meet when you trust him. Let's take the cartoon figure off the table and put a real person in. Let's put emotions with that. Let's ask ourselves, how on earth would we respond if that were us? Or we may see some of our own situations in it so that we may get what God intended for us to receive from it. So we will look at Genesis 37, 1 through 11, but first back up with me to Genesis 29. I was reading this last night to my wife. And I said, you can't make this stuff up. This is like Maury Povich kind of stuff. I mean, 
And when we read it, we go, what? Really? And the whole deal behind it is God allows it. And that's saying he condones it. Don't you mean? He is working in spite of it and in it. And so we know Jacob was sent to, to, <clears throat> to find a wife among his family, among his kinfolk, because that was a culture back then. And so he went um, and was sent by his father, Isaac, uh, to go and find a wife um, among his people, his uncle Laban. And he goes and he sees, I mean, it is love at first sight. He sees the love of his life. He is willing to do anything. We will see later he is willing to, to work seven years before he gets to have her hand in marriage. Some of y'all are just, you know what? You wouldn't even wait seven weeks if you saw what he did. He, he was just infatuated with Rachel. Saw her and was like, man, I just met the love of my life. <clears throat> I got to have her, and he proved it by waiting seven years. And then what we see afterwards <laughs> is the trickster, the deceiver, met his match in his uncle who deceived him. And in that culture, as they were covered up and draped, he thought he was getting Rachel, but he got weak-eyed, as the scripture calls them, kind of weak-eyed. And they're like, couldn't she not see? Was she cross-eyed? We don't know, but we know it was a distinguishing feature because when they compare Leah, the older sister, with Rachel, the younger sister, they say Leah had weak eyes and Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. She was a knockout, and her sister obviously was not. And dad was really concerned about her that he thought the only way she would get a man is if he, is, is if he tricked someone into having her. That's a lot of fatherly confidence. Man, that'll mess with your head. Talk about self-confidence. It just went out the proverbial window. And so we pick up at verse 21 <clears throat> after his wedding night. Give me just a moment. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, 31, excuse me. 31. I'm sorry, guys, I have lost my place, and you guys just be patient for a moment. Verse 21, thank you. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. That's his seven years. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob unbeknownst to him, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Wow. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not 
it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. My, my comment would have been, why didn't you tell me that before now? Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. I'm just going to tell you right now, brothers, that's love. Because there'll be some brothers that'll be like, I'm out. Now, I know it's a little different in that culture than it is today. But still. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban another seven years. Now, so I, again, this is the family that Joseph is going to be born into. Now, more than one wife was common in that society, yes, um, but, but, but and yet we see already the beginning of serious dysfunction. Scripture says it. It says, but Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, you think? Guy worked seven years to wait for his bride only to be given someone he wouldn't have waited seven minutes for. And then worked another seven years after he was given her because he wanted her as his wife. And the Bible says you already get a competing scenario. You already get people that are now going to be at war with one another because one is loved more than the other, although both are part of the same household. Different tent, maybe, but same household. 31, when the, Lord, when, the, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, now my husband will love me. Boy, that's a point right there for, for some of us in the baby mama and baby daddy drama syndrome. Having a baby won't bring more love into the situation if it wasn't there before. I was like, wow, okay. That aged real well. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. I want to stop there. Now, we know babies are not, you know, are not conceived and had at a moment's notice. We already know that, that it takes process and a time. So it took process and a time for Reuben to be there, you know, and it didn't happen right away. So she figured he'd love me. But when she makes this statement that, that, that now my husband won't hate me, that means that her first time child didn't cause and didn't bring love. She still felt hated. And so what happens? Well, maybe this time. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son. Again, like this isn't like three weeks later. This is years later, y'all. And again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time, wow, my husband will be attracted to me because I have borne him three sons. Probably not. Therefore, his name was called Levi, which means attached. And she conceived again and bore a son. And I think Leah started to learn and said, this time 
I'll praise the Lord. And so what did she do? She named him Judah. And so we get here that she was on her own journey and the Lord was working through her dysfunction to still help her get to the right point. And then chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. And understand in that society, childbearing was also a position of status and honor and not having, I mean, when you look at the life of Sarah, when you look at the life of Hannah who had Samuel, that, and when you look at the life of Elizabeth, that scorn that comes along in that culture was heavier and was tremendously taxing on women. And I love how the Lord helps in that. But she said, um, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in a place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Then she said, boy, this sounds familiar. Here is my servant, Bilhah. They should have checked with granddad on that one. so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. It wasn't a good idea then. It still isn't a good idea now. It wasn't good with Sarah and Abraham, and it still isn't good with Rachel and Jacob. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as his wife, and Jacob went in her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and also has heard the voice of me and given me a son. Therefore, she called him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Competition going on. Having baby competition. Boy, this I'm, I, I'm telling you, you can't make this stuff up. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant and said, wait, 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 wait. I can do this too. And as you keep reading, they were like, no, you have, no, I want a baby. No, you want a baby. No, I want a baby. I'm like, hold on a second. This is crazy. The dysfunction level is off the charts. These are people that are competing for a man's attention and for their own personal status by bringing life into the world. And can you imagine the, in the home, the tension the emotions, the hatred, the anger, the dysfunction, the mess. You think you had it bad? Can you imagine being a child in this environment? You got your, you got your mom and your seemingly what we would call stepmom both still in the picture and still having babies back and forth one and another and giving servants to have babies as surrogates in their part. And I, I, I sat there and I was like, this is a daytime show, you know, where they have um, where they have the bodyguards because it's about to break off. And yet, watch God in the middle of this. And so finally it gets to the point where God hears and sees. I'm not going to read any more that God hears and sees Rachel. Leah has had more sons, and then finally, Rachel actually has her first biological child through Jacob, and she calls him Joseph. 
And in his name are two things. It says, she conceived, verse 23, she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. That's what the, 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 the contextual meaning of Joseph arriving. God has taken away my reproach. May the Lord add to me another son, but his name actually um, um, looked in the future to having another son. So Joseph means to add. Sounds like, and so she gets here that now God is working on my behalf. Wow. And of course, you know that she would have one more son, which of course would, which would cost her her life in bearing him in Benjamin. But here's the picture that God chose to work in to continue the lineage that would lead to Christ. Do you see how God works in our mess and dysfunction, still accomplishing his plan in spite of us going crazy and losing our mind? And, you know, thanking God in the process and learning some things along the way, but still messing them up along the way? So the environment that Joseph grew up in. was deception, jealousy, hatred, unhealthy competition, favoritism. That was his home environment, and it was on. Then to add on to that, Joseph's mother died giving birth to his younger brother. But we also know that his father favored him more than all the other siblings. Why? Because he was that first baby of his baby. Rachel was his girl. Leah was added on. And it already said that he loved Rachel more than Leah, but now he loved Rachel's child and children more than Leah's, and they knew it. Now turn with me to chapter 37. And this is not going to be long. Y'all saying, wow, that was the longest introduction on record. And I want us to understand the emotions that are going on when I read this verse. I mean, chapter 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha. Remember, those were the two servants that they gave to have kids by. And so he was working with them in the field, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. I'm going to stop. They already hated this dude because they know that he was more loved. And then here's the tattletale who's bringing a bad report. Be like, dude, can you get them to hate you anymore? Now, Israel, which 
Jacob became Israel. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors, in essence, by implication that the others did not have. They already knew he was loved, and now they made the favorite something that would even let them know more that he was favorite. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Let's not sanitize that. Y'all know how it is. If you've had siblings or you've had other people or you've seen it, I'll just put it that way. You've seen it with other people to where siblings can't get along because they feel that mom loves you more than me. You know, dad cares about you more, nah, that family, you know, you know what, you know, no, that's the little brat in the family. Oh, yeah, he's the youngest. He's the one that gives everything. I just remember for us, there were the first four, of which I was the youngest for six years, and then we, in our family, we call them uh, uh, the latter three. And we said their names all together because they were almost like one. My wife says that when I heard about them and met them, you know, she said, for a moment, I thought that they were all one person, you know, <laughs> because we would always say their names together. We would say those other three. And it wasn't any dysfunction like this, but, but as we got older and they were younger, we would see things and go, y'all ain't do that with us. What? Ah, you never let us do that. They got away with what? Are you kidding me? Magnify that 20 times is what you have here. And so what I want to look at for us in today's title of our text, A Dream in the Dysfunction, is quickly just three things I want us to notice, and then we'll get some takeaways from this. Joseph, the favorite son. Joseph, the hated son, and Joseph, the chosen son. Joseph, the favorite son, Joseph, the hated son, and Joseph, the chosen son. And we're going to begin to see God's journey and movement in all of this mess and dysfunction. I'm going to let you read the rest for the sake of time that Joseph now had two, had two dreams, both of them, in essence, that he understood showing him as above his brothers. Now, understand, in that culture, the youngest got, as we said before, zero rights. See, our culture is different. The youngest in many of our circles may get more of the favored rights because they're the youngest. Parents have been through a lot. They've learned a lot. That youngest there, you know, many times they're tired. And so they will just, some things they're just like, look, it ain't even worth it anymore. I'm not even dealing with it. He'll be all right. My wife and I always say with our first, we had all the gear that we, all the gear that we travel with, the baby bag, diaper bag, the pumpkin seat. We had all everything. And second one, we dropped a few things. By the time the third one came, we had a couple of diapers and, uh, and set, and we were rolling. We didn't need all that gear. 
Y'all know how it is that you start to learn. It don't take all that. So the youngest didn't get any rights here. They were put to work, and, and, and they usually served the others. So for him, his dream was just another thing that made him hate it. But can I let y'all in on something? God did this. So Joseph, the favorite son, Jacob, Jacob established and his wives a culture of dysfunction. They set it up. That's, that's me. And in our homes, we do that as well. We set up cultures of dysfunction because of the sin in our own lives. And as we learn and we grow in Christ, you try and, and actually get away from and remedy the dysfunction as you learn who God is. But we all bring dysfunction into our homes. Don't lie to yourself. Every home has dysfunction. I know we like to talk about dysfunctional homes as if ours isn't. Every home has dysfunction in some way. Because we are not perfect beings. We're flawed to the core, sinful and learning by God's way to come out of it. And so because of that, this environment that was set was in part the sin of Jacob, the sin of Leah and Rachel, the sin of Laban. And so that family environment had an effect on them sons and the one daughter, Dinah. And that created a hostile environment. And we would say today, how on earth can God use that mess? God is not in that. And I would say God, is, God can be smacked in the middle of it. And for some of you, he brought you out of that mess. For some, you were the mess. And the Lord changed you and brought more function in the family as a result. Not only was Joseph the favorite son, and that favoritism was not a good one. Joseph was the hated son, and that climate of hatred was common. Of course it would be. Why? Because when you have that level of dysfunction, you are going to have that kind of sinful hatred in it. And so when Joseph had his dream, his brothers were like, oh, you already favored, so now you're going to tell us, we're going to bow to you, dude? Get out of here. You tell us what that, that when you read the rest of it, we're going to bow to you? You must be crazy. So they hated him even more. Even when his father heard it, his father had a rebuke. And what, what, am I going to bow to you too? Although his father didn't hate him, it says his father pondered this. His father began to say, what's happening here? Because he understands dreams. He understands their place in that time and how the Lord communicated. So he knew something was up. He just didn't fully understand it. And so unhealthy favoritism, which fueled hatred. And yet in the midst of that, our text, this might be our title, there was a dream in the dysfunction. No one understood it, but God was already at work to save and to keep this, this, this nation that was forming, Israel, to keep it 
saved, healthy, and would move on because God had a promise greater than Jacob. God had a promise greater than Isaac and Abraham. God had a Savior that would come, and God would keep his plan going regardless of who we are. And I would say to you today, God is working. He will keep his plan going involving you regardless of the mess you've created. And he knows how to work through and around you. He knows how to change you as he did Jacob as you read his story. He knows how to work to get you where he needs you to be. Stop trying to think it all rests on you, that it all falls on your shoulders to make this thing work. What we see is we keep messing it up when we think we're fixing it. Just take a look at Leah and Rachel. They kept thinking, no, take my servant, no, my servant, no, my servant, no, my servant. And they thought they were fixing it, and they were just digging that hole deeper. And for many of us, we need to stop thinking, God, I can work this out. I got it, Lord. And God is sitting in there, you're going to keep messing this up? And you're going to keep messing this up? Until I fix it and you see that it was me all the time. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to follow me. And so lastly, Joseph, the chosen son, the one that's unlikely. And understand, Joseph, Joseph's dream set him apart. And it did tell what was going to happen in the future. Although he didn't fully know, he knew it was it meant him being the lead, and boy, that always makes folks feel good. I had a dream, man, that I was leading everyone, and, and, and all the peoples were bowing. See, but what he didn't know that that journey to that photo, to that dream and picture would be what he never imagined nor wanted. And God may be choosing to use Many of us in ways that seem great to others, but the journey that he may and most likely will take you through, most people will be like, I don't want that. You can have that greatness if that's what I have to do. But God's plan will be in effect. See, Joseph was excited that he was going to be great. But he didn't know that for, in order for him to rise as high as he would, he would have to go as low as he never imagined because there were some things in his life that had to be dealt with. Joseph was coddled, probably didn't have to do much work, had the favorite coat. Daddy was on my side all the time. I could tell on my brother's. I was kind of set. My mom was the favorite, even though I lost her. I'm it, and humble, the tables turned quick. We'll see that in coming weeks. And as they turned, he had to unlearn and then learn some different things. But here the deal is God will have you on a mission, and in that mission, he has, to, he has to get you to learn some things that may only happen in ways that you wish he would never do it. I've heard it once said, and I'm coming to agree more and more, to the one whom God uses greatly, many times he allows to be hurt greatly. 
because he's developing in you something that you don't even realize needs to be developed. So Joseph's dream set him on an unexpected journey. He didn't even know. Joseph would be used by God mightily, yet he would have to go through a process that led and prepared him for what God desired. And so this morning, as we get ready to jump in, is to keep that in mind. See, we get to turn to 50 and see the end of the story. You can get the cliff notes. I don't want to read all this. Joseph didn't get that. He didn't know what the end would be. There was no spoiler alert. As he was going through this, he had no idea what the next step would be. And as we look at it, it kept going from bad to worse to I don't believe this. And yet God was still at work. And I would say to you and I today, that's the same thing. God can be still at work as we remain faithful. And it goes to, from bad seemingly to worse to I don't believe this. Here are some takeaways I want us to remember, and then we'll be gone. Don't think God can't use someone or move in your family because of dysfunction. We like to throw everything out. Well, God can't, man, my family's so messed up. God, God ain't going to use us. He used everyone else in the Bible that was so messed up. Why not you? Every family has, defunct, has dysfunction. God works regardless of the drama, and he works to display his greatness through our mess. Second takeaway, God hears your true cries and sees your hurt and pain caused by human sin and suffering. God hears your true cries and sees your hurt and pain caused by sin and human suffering. He heard both Leah and Rachel. Although they were part of the mess, they were still hurting from sin and behaving in sin. He heard it. It says in the scripture, and God heard Leah, and God saw that Leah was hated, rather, and that, and that God heard Rachel. Those are like, did he not hear them before? Of course he did. What it's saying then is that God responded to what he had already been seeing and hearing. Next one, God calls us in and from our dysfunction to his, to his desired destination, teaching us along the way. That's what we're going to get with Joseph. God calls us in and from our dysfunction. Three more. I pose the questions to you. How are you discounting what God may be doing because of your family history or current situation? What do you say? Nah, nah, man, this, this can't be God. You don't know my family. You don't know my mess. How are you discounting what God may be doing because of your family history or current situation? How are you allowing your family dysfunction to rule you instead of God? Because that's what was happening. The dysfunction was ruling this family. But God was, now he was coming to the forefront and he was going to rule using one of the people in the dysfunction. <clears throat> and then lastly, just a statement, being quote-unquote called may send you on a journey that you did not expect 
but is necessary. Being called may send you on a journey that you did not expect, but is necessary. It may even seem like evil is winning, but you have to know if God is truly sovereign, if he is the one who always gets the outcomes that he's desires in the way that he's desired, if you believe that he can impose his will at any time with no one hindering what he does, and that's the truth, if you believe that God has the power to pull off whatever it is that he desires, then understand he sees and hears you right where you are, and as you turn and trust him, he is working on your behalf. It just, not, it, it just may not be the way you would have done it or the way you like it, but he's doing it and will get the desired end. So this morning, a dream in the dysfunction, I love that because all of our history as humanity is dysfunctional. And when I look at that, I look at Christ being better. Yet Joseph was being pulled out of dysfunction, but he was part of the dysfunction. But Jesus was brought about in the dysfunction, but the dysfunction did not characterize him. Jesus was brought about from a lineage that was filled with mess, but that mess did not characterize him. Jesus was born in a time that was hostile and in war and fighting, both infighting and outfighting, and yet that did not characterize him. Jesus is better. He is the perfect one to come from or out of in the middle of dysfunction and not be scarred and tainted and marred by the dysfunction. Perfect in all his ways and perfect in all his being. That's Jesus. And so, he calls us to trust him, that if he can work in and be brought through the dysfunction, he can bring you out his way if you trust him. Jesus is better. And so this morning, I would just have you, have you to say, hey, stop discounting God in your life. Stop using what you've been through to disqualify you from what God maybe want to do in you. And start, you know, start trusting him faithfully and to see what he's going to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, that we can trust you. Father, that we can lean in. Lord, we are a mess. And if any of us don't think we are, Father, we haven't looked at ourselves truly. Father, oh, yes, we may have good days as your children, but Lord, the thoughts in our hearts, the ideas, the frames that we create, Lord, they're messy because of sin. And yes, you've called us out, those that have trusted you as Savior. You have called us and cleaned us up, and yet we still battle with our sins every day. Giving you more and more of ourselves, Lord, in the sanctification process that we might grow to be fruitful not sitting in the dysfunction nor using it as an excuse, but, Lord, allowing you to be seen as great because you are, because of how you work with us. And I pray this morning 
that anyone here, Lord, first that doesn't know you may realize that you see the dysfunction. God, you understand and you work in and with it. And Lord, I pray that we would trust you to work in our lives. And then secondly, those that do know you, Lord, may they lay their dysfunction at the cross and allow you to work in and through them, us, for your glory. May we leave here encouraged that whatever our mess is, you are greater. And then, Father, I pray that we would have grace and mercy on others as, Father, you bring them out like you bring us out. Father, may we realize that you are on a lifelong process of working in and through us just like you did the characters in Scripture and that we would trust you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.